This message comes from NPR sponsor Total Wine and More. With the lowest prices for over 30 years, find what you love and love what you find at Total Wine and More. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly. Be 21. Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. This next interview is our last one in our wrap month, and our guest is Benny the Butcher. Benny is from Buffalo, New York. Alongside Conway the Machine and West Side Gun, he's a member of the hip-hop collective Griselda. Benny is a hard worker, incredibly prolific. He tours a ton. He's not even 40 yet, and he's got dozens of LPs and mixtapes and other releases to his name. In fact, since 2009, he hasn't gone a single year without releasing something. All that is even more extraordinary when you consider his health. Benny suffers from severe asthma. He's been to the emergency room more times than he can count. He's had to cancel shows and interviews. It's hard to imagine being an MC with asthma. It's especially hard to be an asthmatic MC with a flow as complex and fierce as Benny the Butcher's. Benny's latest album is Tana Talk 4. Came out last year. Here was the first single from it, Johnny P's Caddy. Ah, what you coming this ain't my story about rags to riches, more about how I mastered physics. In a game, I used to train like Rocky, catching chickens. I was nice, but they was right when they told me that rap would finish. I had 10 bands in my stash when I passed over half a million. Come easy, no good, don't be surprised I'll last you. It's like they put out a smash, then they go on in a flash, admit it. And then they make tracks. Benny the Butcher, welcome to Bullseye. Yes, sir, man. Thanks for having me. It's nice to have you here. I'm glad that, that you have some cold water there. <laughs> you just <laughs> walked in the door. It's it's rare that we have a guest so just walked in the door, like you sat down, asthma inhaler, handed <laughs> some water. <laughs> and a blunt. Don't forget that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm I'm glad you're not. My studio is too small. You'd be stinking it up. So, uh, well, I appreciate you being here. Thank you so much. Yes, man. Uh, it took me a while to get here, man. I had uh, I had some difficulties going on, but I'm here, baby. Are all recording studios in Buffalo, New York, do they all look like Victorian mansions? Because that's what it looks like you're recording from. <laughs> Yo, and and this kind of feels like one. Like you, this is like a this is like a suede curtain right next to me. But man, this is this is the home recording studio of the famous Google Dolls. Now we're talking. Tell me about your asthma. Did the, is that something that you've dealt with since you were young? Yeah, it, it runs in my family. And uh, honestly, I haven't always been like the, I haven't always taken care of it the way I supposed to. So it's it's at a point where, you know what I mean, it's, it's, it's bad. I'm not going to lie, it's bad. I was just in the hospital like two, three days ago. I'm in the hospital maybe mm, three, four times a year. The, the time before that. Couple nights ago, I went. I was. I went to the hospital to the emergency room when I was on the. Uh, thank God I made a tour. I was in the emergency room in Greece, and then I, I came. I came back. I came back across the water, and I was watching something on the internet. It was like never go to the emergency room in Greece. I'm like, damn, been there, done that. <laughs> but yeah, man, asthma's crazy. There's a lot of rappers with asthma. Pharrell Monch was on this show, and he, you know, he always has an inhaler on stage. Mm-hmm. You know, I think. Tyler, the creator, has asthma. 
I read that Big Daddy Kane has asthma. Yeah. Uh, Jay-Z. Uh, Biggie Smalls. Yeah. I know, like, the asthma lineage in hip-hop. I think it is particularly an interesting challenge for a rapper because rap is so much about controlling and managing your breath. I mean, all, mm-hmm. all singing is, but I think rap in particular is, like, built on being able to manage your breath in extraordinary ways, you know? And when your breath is also like threatening to kill you at any moment, it's a difficult path to walk. <laughs> that make it difficult. I'm not going to lie. It's like sometimes before I get on the stage, I'm thinking like, how, how, how am I going to make this work? But I do it. So it's, it's been maybe once at the most. I don't, I, I can't remember it twice, but I know one time I had to cancel a show in Detroit for asthma. But a lot of times I, I do shows mm, like when when I'm a little short of breath, I can handle it. So if I ever cancel a show, it's because it's like, damn, I was damn near about to die. I can't, I can't, you know what I mean, I can't even function. What do you have to do to manage it? Mm, this is what I, this is what I need to do. I need to be, I need to take my medicine. Uh, I need to take the prednisone. I need to take the Advair. They give me the, when you, when you take the Advair every day, man, you could be good. Some people like, Leave the asthma pump at home. Like, I can't do nothing without my asthma pump. So I need to stay on top of the Advair, the the daily medicine. I need to stay on top of that. And, uh, you know, man, lay off these these marijuana cigarettes maybe. But, you know, I'm trying, baby. We'll be back in just a second. It's Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. This message comes from Apple Card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase. That's 3% on products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. This message comes from NPR sponsor Rosetta Stone, an expert in language learning for 30 years. Right now, NPR listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership to 25 different languages for 50% off. Learn more at rosettastone.com NPR. This election season, you can expect to hear a lot of news, some of it meaningful, much of it not. Give the Up First podcast 15 minutes, sometimes a little less, and we'll help you sort it out what's going on around the world and at home. Three stories, 15 minutes, Up First every day. Listen every morning wherever you get your podcasts. So let's see who first to the finish. If it's less than a hundred racks, it don't deserve your attention. Cause burdens come with it. My second test was serving a sentence. My first was make a brick jump like it was heard. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. I'm talking with Benny the Butcher of Griselda. I'm fresh out of luck. I'm here cause I deserve to be. I sat back a vet and watched beginners winning my belts. Burn my bridges, came back a good swimmer like Phelps. You know the feeling, young black male, what y'all dealing? Take your whole life to get it, it only lasts you a minute. In the kitchen, counting cash with cats with backward agendas. Put a Benz in a brick, then toss it back in the blender. That was us, next to a big like I was... You're in Buffalo, New York, where you're from right now. Um, how much of your time do you spend there? I maybe spend maybe like 20, 30% of my time here. My family is still here. My children, my mom, uh, 
my studio was here. The studio was more so set up for the artists and for the staff to run day to day. But I spend about 20, 30% of my time. I spend a lot of time back home in Atlanta or on the road. But I, 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 sometimes I come here just to get inspired. Sometimes I come here and just sit in a crib for a day and nobody even know I'm here. I don't let them know I'm here until maybe the next day or something. Just come here to collect my thoughts. It's so crazy that I just wanted, like, how hard I just wanted to get away from this place a few years ago. And now just to settle everything down, I, I might just come back. You know what I mean? It's crazy. It can feel so much more different when you leave and come back as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Come back and see, when I come, when I come back now, it's like a totally different city because I'm a totally different person. I'm not hanging around in the same places I used to. You know what I mean? I'm not, I'm not doing it. It's like a different Buffalo for me. I'm not going to lie. This is how I'll describe it. I'm not even going to lie to you. It's like, it's like rich people Buffalo. You know what I'm saying? Like before I was like, you know, we was in the hood. We was doing East Side Buffalo things. But now I come here and I'm, and I'm hanging with the Buffalo aristocrats. <laughs> it's crazy to me. Who are the Buffalo aristocrats? Are we talking about? I mean, I got to assume the Buffalo Bills, comedian Joe Para. That's all I got, though. <laughs> you got the Bills. You got uh, the the Buffalo celebrities. But you also have, like, doctors here. You know what I'm saying? You always, you also have, like, mm, it's other, it's other, it's another guy here who has a clothing company, my boy E. Ross. Uh, he comes back and forth to Buffalo. But you know what I mean? He, he, he makes a lot of money and he comes back and, and, I, and I can see the same thing that I'm talking about in me and him. Uh, just, you know, like public officials. Mm, just anybody you could name who's doing things. It's like social media influencers who I didn't even know existed. You know what I'm saying? But, you know, they write from here. and You know, we it's, it's like one small circle. Just how like the hood and the ghetto is the same thing. It's like a... It's one small circle of, like, people doing extraordinary things, but they all, like, hang out at the same places, and, you know what I'm saying, and, and do the same thing. How many people did you live with when you were a kid? Mm, well, my mom had eight children. So think about that. Maybe it was, so it was always, like, six or seven kids in a house at a time, at a, at a point in time. My mom, maybe one of my aunts living there, uh, my stepdad. Yeah, so maybe like seven people. I, I remember one time I lived in a house with 11 people. Where were you among your siblings in age? I'm the second oldest. Uh, rest in peace to my older brother, Machine Gun Black. He passed away October 2006. And ever since then, I've been like my oldest, my mom's oldest living child. But uh, he died when he was 24 and I was 21. And I'm 38 now, so that's how long I've been like my mom's oldest living child. Your mom was using when you were a kid, right? Yeah, yeah. How old were you when you realized this about your mom? Yeah, I had to be like five or six years old. Five or six years old, guaranteed, because we still lived in a neighborhood I remember the house that we lived in. It was in Langfield Projects. And I know how old I was living at that apartment. And it was that apartment specifically. What did that even mean to you when you were that age? It, 
I didn't it did I didn't know how detrimental it was. I just knew my mom was doing something wrong. I didn't know I didn't know addiction was a disease. I didn't know I didn't know I didn't know nothing, really. I just knew it was wrong because it was talked about on TV and it was say no to drugs and I knew it was drug paraphernalia. I just knew it was wrong, you know what I'm saying? So, you know, when you're a kid like that, you think your mom could do no wrong. Everything she's doing was right. So it's kind of like, like, damn, my mom doing something wrong. I kind of like, kind of like make me look at her with the side eye. You know, you know how kids, kids are honest. You know what I'm saying? I, I kind of like looked at her with a side eye, like you, you're doing something you're not supposed to be doing, mommy, but you're doing. You and your older brother must have had times when you had to take care of your siblings. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like look after Mm-hmm. definitely look after I was in a foster home for a minute at the point in time my mom had four children and then we all got to stay together so you know definitely and I was nine years old but I definitely that's the first time I fe- felt the sense of I gotta look after my little brother and my little sister and, and I know my brother felt like he had to look after all of us yeah definitely man and I do that now I do that now. I try to look out for my sisters and brothers as much as I can right now. But definitely, man, we had to look out for each other. So it was eight of us. I'm Jesse Thorne. It's Bullseye. My guest is rapper Benny the Butcher. Uh, who can I depend on? Marry the game and death my in-laws. Fence don't got no mercy for a big dog. Kite from my man. He said I'm at where I deserve to be. Jammed up. He about to take the plea for a 30 piece. My heart dropped when they put them TNT fans up. Now we getting caught by them TMZ cameras. Barely made it. We succeeded with the least chances. My team got a will strong enough to beat cancer. Masters and dope. Before that, I had a bachelor's in... I'm like Ali. I fight better with my back on the ropes. Labels, I passed them up. It's like they after the flow. And my legacy... You've rapped a lot about street selling, selling drugs. And a lot about the depth of your conflicted feelings about it. Right. Um... When did you start selling and uh, when did you stop? I started when I was when I was 14. When I moved, I moved to Georgia. I stayed in a foster home ever since. When I went to nine, I left my mom's house when I was nine years old. And when I finally moved back, I was 14. So when I moved back in my mom's custody, and things weren't ideal. My my boy, I, I was moving back from Atlanta, and my best friend, City Boy, told me. He was 15 at the time. He told me, like, yo, you know, your mom not doing good, so you're going to have to, like, step it up and help her. You know what I'm saying? It's like, you know, it was like you got to, like, grow up fast that you're back. Because he's seen that I, my first few days back, I was playing football, eating ice cream. He told me where to where to get some drugs I could sell. And I went to get a double up. And I started that. Not that day, but I started like that summer when I was 14. I mean, Benny, you're talking about, Mm -hmm. (laughs) frankly, you're talking about the stuff that 14-year-olds should just get to do. I mean, like, I'm 42 and I like eating. Right, right. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't think think I'm qualified to play football anymore, (laughs) but um, maybe ride a bike. That's what I was ready to do. I was ready to come back and be a kid. It was... 
summer, the summer of 1999. I was turning 15 later on that year, and I was back with all my old friends that I grew up with who I haven't lived. It was on Montana. I moved back on Montana Avenue, and I haven't lived on the street in like a couple years. So I was happy to be with my old friends, and I didn't want to, I didn't want to like face the reality of what was going on. I knew, like, my boy City Boy, I knew he was, like, ahead of his time, and he was doing that and I didn't run behind him and chase and do it because he was doing it. I recognized he was doing it, and I didn't want no parts of it because I'm still a kid. You're still a kid when you're 14. So I was ready to be a kid. How engaged were you with the risks and consequences of what you were up to? Uh... Mm, the consequences, honestly, man, you know, I don't know if people tell the truth like this, but they weren't that real to me because everybody was doing it, you know? It wasn't that real. And when I finally did get caught and caught with some drugs, by the time I was 16, it was a slap on the wrist. And for a 16-year-old, I ran a pretty elaborate operation, you know, so just to get probation for that. You know, like, we knew those things. You know, we had we had, we had had friends who was hanging with us toting guns. And so it was like the consequences wasn't that real. And we was, we accepted them as far as what we believed them to be. Because, you know, tell me back then, my brother's going to be dead. Uh, I'm going to spend... 10 years in and out of prison, a 10-year period of my life, my 20s in and out of prison, and, and this is going to happen or that's going to happen. I'm not sure I would have jumped in that how I did. So, you know, the consequences, you know, and, 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 and the dangers of it wasn't that real to us until we until we grew to have things to lose. You feel what I'm saying? Until until I had children. That's, that's when the consequences get real is when you got kids. That's when I started. And I was still going to my daughter's first birthday was when I was in prison. So that's that's when it started to hurt or started. I started to feel like a failure in life, like like everybody want to be there for their kids first birthday. You know, I'm never going to get that back ever. No matter how good our relationship is right now, no matter what I got, you know, I'm never going to get that back. You know, so until 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 you got to lose, man, the consequences really don't is nothing. How old were you when your older brother died? I was, I want to say, yeah, I was 22. I was 22. They called me to the counselor's office. Now, I'm in federal prison at the time. I got a cell phone in the prison. So when they called me up to the counselor's office and tell me that my family want to speak to me, first thing I'm thinking, I was like, why y'all didn't just text me? <laughs> why you call me? If you want to speak to me. And I remember my baby mother, she asked me, she asked me how I'm feeling. You know, now, now I'm talking to, on the phone with her in front of the counselor and she asks me how I'm feeling. I'm thinking like, now I'm getting annoyed. I'm like, how I'm feeling? I'm like, why, why you, I'm like, I can't say it in front of the counselor, but I'm thinking like, why you didn't just call me? Like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm feeling good. Like, how you feeling? And she was like, they must didn't tell you. And I'm like, tell me what? Then I look at the counselor, then he like look away at me. Now I really want to know. I'm like, tell me what? And then she told me. You know what I'm saying? And that's a feeling that that never goes away. You know? 
Because my relationship with my brother is he was a he was a protector, man. Whoever he li- loved and liked and, and hung with and spent his time with, he felt responsible for those people. He felt responsible for those people. That's why Westside Gun talk about him the way he do. You know what I mean? Because, you know what I mean? Like, he, they had to kind of, they had that type of relationship too. Man. And, and coming home after a bit, and you don't got your like your older brother. I still I was still a baby boy. I was only twenty two when I came home. And my older brother, you know what I mean, not around. But I I, I kind of feel like naked. I kind of feel like bare. I didn't know who to trust. Uh, we we didn't know what happened at the time, so I didn't really get answers. So it was it was it was it was a scary time. You know what I'm saying? Paranoia. Uh, not being able to sleep, and when I am able to sleep, like I had, I had, I had, maybe I had a dream about him for a year straight. It's crazy. You only had a few months left in your sentence when he was killed, and um, you weren't able to go to his funeral. I was, I was, I was due to be released ninety days. I was getting out of prison in 90 days, right? Uh, With no parole, no nothing. And they told me I was a flight risk. And to be honest with you, I'm I'm going to keep it real with you. I don't don't know if I, I don't, it would have been good to say goodbye to my brother, but I'm not sure if I wanted to, to be there, you know, and see my mom crying like that. I'm not sure I wanted to see that. You know, my grandmother there. You know, I his his children there. You know, I'm I'm not sure if I could have handled that. I I'm not gonna hold you. You know, that that tore me apart. He was a rapper as well, and a good one. Um, yeah, I've only heard a little bit of him rapping, but he's a talented guy. Did it change your relationship to making music when he was killed? Hell yeah. It made me, it made me, you know, he, he, he was also one of my biggest supporters. He was also definitely, you know what I'm saying? He, like when he started rapping, he, when he started getting good, people would tell him like, yo, you getting good. He always just like, no, you should hear my little brother, you know? Uh, so definitely, you know, I know him, that's my brother. I could still like, just imagine how he would react and I could still hear him in my head. So, you know what I mean? That, that keeps me pushing, you know what I'm saying? That's a driving unit for me. You know what I mean? We've got to go to a quick break. Benny the Butcher recorded a response to a classic Biggie Smalls song. And when we come back, we'll hear it and break it down. It's Bullseye for MaximumFun.org and NPR. Support for this podcast and the following message come from UCSF Health. The human brain is both remarkable and complex. The neurological specialists at UC San Francisco are constantly thinking of new and better ways to treat it. More at UCSFHealth.org slash minds. This message comes from NPR sponsor Bluehost, introducing Wondersuite. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few questions and get a unique, customizable WordPress website or store right away. Go to bluehost.com slash Wondersuite. 
Greatest Trek is the podcast for all your modern Star Trek needs. It's funny, informative, and now it's also timely. That's because every Friday, right after the release of a new episode of Strange New Worlds, Picard, Lower Decks, Discovery, or Prodigy, we bring you a review of that episode. There's some great new Star Trek coming up, and we're going to cover all of it. You'll like our show because we're both former video producers, so we bring a lot of insight into the production and filmmaking aspects to these episodes. And we also have a very refined sense of humor, so we make lots of delightful fart jokes along the way. So come see why Greatest Trek is one of the most popular television recap podcasts on all of the internet. Subscribe to Greatest Trek at MaximumFun.org or in the podcast app you're using right now. Welcome back to Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. If you're just joining us, my guest is Benny the Butcher. He's an acclaimed MC and a founding member of the hip-hop collective Griselda. His 2022 mixtape, Tana Talk 4, features contributions from J. Cole, Diddy, and fellow Griselda member, Boldy James. He also just announced a new album, Everybody Can't Go, set to be released later this year. Let's get back into my conversation with Benny the Butcher. I was listening to one of the singles from Tana Talk 4, your record from last year. Mm -hmm. And it is like a... It is a reimagining of the famous Biggie song, Ten Crack Commandments, called Ten More Commandments. Mm -hmm. You have Diddy on the on the record. Yes. And like other other people have reimagined this song in different ways. You mm -hmm. know, it's a it's a great format. Um but like you you start by getting into these kind of nitty gritty things about selling crack. Right. Mm -hmm. And they are, you know, that's in the spirit of the original song. Like, it's like these sort of like, be careful to do this things, mm -hmm. you know, be careful on social media is one of them. Right. 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 Cause you could be richer, but my handle equal triple the financial difference. 13 tricky big couldn't even approach it. When he was slinging and toting, this wasn't even a focus. No social media you posted. Greedy emotions, chase fame, and not the money that's broke. That be on hope. Rule number 12, I noticed when a little 12 stand for something to fall for anything. Respect is like a I'm wondering as I'm listening to this, like, what is it? Where is he going with this song? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it's very hard. It's very easy to, it's very easy to misstep because it's very easy to like either make this record about why you should make easy money selling people crack. Right. Um, <laughs> and it's also very easy to make this record about why drugs are bad mm -hmm. which you know crack cocaine is at least significantly bad but like you know it's not 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 much of a song right, right. <laughs> and where you go with the song is essentially you have to get out don't get no ideas you gotta live the way I live the talk the I just did ten more crack commandments yeah 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 Check 
But like we a different generation, a different time. We ain't gotta repeat the past and crack ever. It's not a judgmental song and it's not a celebratory song. Exactly. It ultimately is a song about you got to get yourself out of that situation because it doesn't go anywhere good. Right. That's the number one rule. Like, remember all the all, remember all the movies back in the day when a guy he just he just wanted his fifty thousand dollars. No, that's how all the old movies started. That's how the nature of the business started. It wasn't a drug being a drug dealer wasn't. A destination job like you no know, you do this for this a, a point of time and then you move on you know that was that was that was lost you feel me in in real life and in the music i just wanted to point that out that's why i made it the the, the last rule that i stated it's like don't ever forget that you we only do this because we don't have the opportunities to do that a lot of people get in the game just to be in the game. Social media created that window uh, to other lives, to other, to other norms, just to other, to other everything. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and not only social media, technology, just a whole bunch of other things that we can do that we don't got to sell drugs and kill each other no more. You know what I'm saying? To be successful, to be rich, or to, to be uh, better in our community. Or to, you know what I'm saying? So I really want people to know that. You know, these dudes, they be out here, they be, they get their little money and they do what they do. I get it. But, you know, some of those guys are stand up guys or just because you got money and you a tough guy. You know, that don't that don't mean like use your power in in a, in a, in the wrong way. You know, you see it every day. These these guys. In neighborhoods that they don't belong in. You know, carrying pistols and end up getting caught with these pistols. And I'm a, I'm a, I'm an advocate for the hustlers, you know. Like you said, it's not a. I'm, I wasn't bigging the game up. I wasn't on the game. I was just letting people know my space where, where I stand. And I really want people to know, like, you gotta get out the game. I mean, I think part of why you are able to share that is because your own story has all of the pain associated with that game i mean like it's not just even you having been to prison um or your brother having been killed but your mother having been an addict mm-hmm. yeah i know every side to drug abuse i know every side uh i done been in eight i done been in na meetings with my mom as a kid uh, I done graduated the program myself, having to be, having to be like in prison. That's a certificate you need. I done went back to prison with that certificate and uh, even taught the class before. You know what I mean? Like I know every side to that. You're right, every side. Benny the Butcher, I sure appreciate uh, your time and your candor. Um, it was really nice to get to talk to you. Man, definitely, man. I, I I enjoy your uh, your interview style, Jesse. Man, I, I like that. You're a smooth guy, man. Easy to talk to. Benny the Butcher. His next album, Everybody Can't Go, is set to be released later this year. 
That's the end of another episode of Bullseye. Bullseye is created from the homes of me and the staff of Maximum Fun in and around greater Los Angeles, California. I just made an appointment to get an updated COVID shot and a flu shot for this autumn. I hope you will go and do the same and help protect yourself and everyone around you. Our show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our senior producer is Kevin Ferguson. Our producers are Jesus Ambrosio and Richard Roby. Our production fellow at Maximum Fun is Brianna Paz. We get booking help from Mara Davis. And hey, if you're in Los Angeles or environs, here's some cool news. We are joining LAist 89.3. We are so thrilled to be back on the air in our hometown of Los Angeles. Thanks, LAist. Our interstitial music is by DJW, also known as Dan Wally. Dan remixed the latest EP from the Baltimore hardcore band Turnstile and has been posting clips on his Instagram of the samples he used for the remix. Check out the instrumentals on his Bandcamp. Just go to Bandcamp and search for DJW Sounds. Our theme song is called Huddle Formation, written and recorded by the Go Team, thanks to them and to their label Memphis Industries. And Bullseye is on Instagram. I hope you will take a look for us there. You can see pictures from behind the scenes and clips from upcoming stuff and all all kinds of fun stuff. We're on IG at Bullseye with Jesse Thorne. You can also find us on Twitter, YouTube, and Facebook. I think that's about it. Just remember, all great radio hosts have a signature sign-off. Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. In this country, some truths aren't self-evident. And NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of stories as wide-ranging and real as the people who tell them, we celebrate the Black experience for all its soul and richness. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get podcasts.